So I wrote in uh, the bulletin today, and obviously either people didn't see it or didn't much care uh, or weren't enticed by it, that uh, this is the verse that nobody obeys and no church obeys. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So in one verse, we have both the accountability of the leaders of the church and the accountability of the flock. And it's perfectly balanced. Um, and I think you'll see that as, as we um, go through this. Because... When you talk about obeying human beings, you always run the risk of authoritarianism. Now, what is that? That's when people wield their authority just because they want to wield their authority. They wield their authority because they have authority. But that can't possibly be. It happens in, in Christian churches. It happens especially in cults, and you could ask Dave about that. They're very authoritarian. Uh, you go by what the leader says or... <clears throat> so... The Bible is extremely balanced because all authority is under God. God's authority is supreme. And all other authority is delegated by God. So, for example, the powers that be are ordained by God. Romans 13, that is, the political powers, the human authorities, the institutions that man comes up with, they're under God's authority and, apply, and, and given by God. There's also the institution of marriage. The husband is the head, the wife is to submit. There's the institution of the family. The children obey their parents and so on and so Well, there's also authority in the local church. And that's what this is talking about. So let's work our way through this. So again, he says, um, obey your, those who rule over you. You could, you could actually paraphrase this. Obey your leaders and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So first of all, the command is twofold. You see the two words there? It says obey, and it says be submissive. So let's look at the word obey. What's really interesting about this word obey is that where it's used, sometimes it's used to persuade, to persuade people to something. In its context here, it has the idea of obey. So the members of the flock are to obey their rulers. And it seems that since there are other words in the Greek that could be used for commanding obedience, it seems that the writer's use of this word has the idea of put your trust in God's leaders. Not, not for salvation, but the leaders are to be trustworthy. They're to be men that you feel confident in, in listening to them and obeying what they say when they teach the word of God. And so the idea here is to obey with confidence trustworthy men who are appointed by God to lead the flock. It's a beautiful concept. And then the next word is be submissive. And I think that speaks for itself. Be submissive. In other words, the idea is yield to their authority, yield to their words, yield to their leadership, 
and trust God that he has given us leaders that are worthy. They've met certain qualifications. You know, there's qualifications for elders and overseers, and that's one office in the church. And then there's qualifications for deacons, and that's another office in the church. So the command here, and this is to the flock. So here's the accountability of the flock to the leaders. Obey and be submissive. And then I want to look at this phrase, um, those who rule over you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. So the word rule here is the word rule. Uh, It's also used for the idea of leading, those who lead you, those who are leaders. And um, it's... um, It's similar to what Paul says uh, in verse, well, no, what the writer here says in verse 7. So back up to verse 7, because really he introduces this um, teaching in verse 7 here in this letter. Remember that that verse here, verse 7? Remember those who rule over you, that's the same phrase. Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Now most people look at the leaders he's talking about here would have been the first leaders who preached the gospel through whom these men and women came to faith and these churches began and these leaders are now gone. They've, they've, they've gone, they've died. Maybe they were actually killed. And then now the present leaders, he comes back to this idea in verse 17 and he says, obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. So there's always been the idea of obeying leaders. I mean, in the Old Testament, you had the priests and you had the prophets and especially the kings. In the cities and the towns and the villages of Israel, you had the elders. And these were men that God raised up in communities who would be godly men, men that the rest of the people could look up to. And they would, they would be the authorities in the local communities, local towns and villages and, and cities in the Old Testament. There is a parallel to this in 1 Thessalonians 5. That's why I read that. But I would like to look at that, 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you take a look at that passage again. Now, we won't read the whole passage because there's more in the passage than what we're looking at tonight. So we'll look specifically at the the parallel, the cross-reference. And it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. And look at the strong word that Paul uses here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. And notice the, Paul's idea of the leaders. The leader is a laborer, is a worker. So that shows the accountability under God of the leader. He's not a lazy bum. He's a worker. He works at what he does. In the flock. And he says, and are over you in the Lord. And there's that again, authority over you, and it's in the Lord. What's important about this is that the authority that any leader in the church has comes from the Lord and must be faithful to the Lord. And that means no leader in any church has the right to command anything that's not expressly given in the Bible. No human authority is allowed in, in the church is allowed to say, you know what, I have this idea, and I want us to do this or that, when it's his 
own idea, his own preference. We leaders are to be teaching the word of God and our authority comes from God and his word, not anywhere outside of his word, okay? So look at this again, verse 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, and you know, people talk about our day and age as a day and age where people don't want to be told what to do. See that word urge? You know that the Thessalonians were having some problems with authority too. <laughs> he doesn't say, and you know, we have authority and we all obey it and we all enjoy it and it's great. He says, we urge you, brethren. And the idea here is to recognize those who labor among you. There's probably some people who are saying, I don't care what so-and-so says. He has no authority over me. I don't recognize your authority. Paul says, that's not the way to look at it. And then he says, they labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And look at this word, admonish you. Now the word admonish is used for when somebody is causing a problem or has a problem and the leaders are to address that problem. This word is also used uh, in the New Testament for the, as the word for counsel somebody. And usually when you need counseling, it's because you've got a problem and you go to seek help. I'm having this problem, I'm coming to you for advice, and that's the idea of that word. And, and sometimes people go to the leader because they're struggling with a problem, and sometimes the leaders go to a person because they're having a problem in their walk with the Lord and they need help. And then verse four, uh, 13, and he says, to esteem them, not just esteem them, esteem them very highly in love, and here's the, here's the repetition of their work, for their work's sake. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So there's the accountability of the leader. He's to be a worker. His authority comes from the Lord and is to be faithful to the Lord. But we who follow the leaders, we who are under the leader's leadership, we are to esteem them very highly. We are to love them. We are to think highly of them, think um, of of put the best construction on their leadership. That's the idea here. And then it says, be at peace among yourselves. And this is a parallel to what uh, Hebrews says. Um, it, at the end of Hebrews 13, 17, it says, um, um, that we should, as a church, obey and be submissive to our leaders so that they might have joy in their work and not grief and then he says, for that would be unprofitable for you. In other words, when the leaders are given trouble, then everybody suffers. And that's how he ends up here when he says, be at peace among yourselves. Let's love one another. Let's look out for one another. Let's be cooperative one another. Let's work together, leaders and followers, in fulfilling God's will. So... Going back to Hebrews 13, 17, we've looked at this parallel, this parallel passage, and I want to stop for a moment and talk about the day in which you and I live, our contemporary context. I think it would be pretty safe to say that the average Bible-believing church does not comply with this view of the church's authority. And I mean that not just that all the members of the church, but I, I think the average church, leaders of the church and members of the church, I don't think they think this way today. I think we've, we've lost this concept. And one of the reasons why I can say that is 
In all the years that I've been a Christian and a pastor, I have come across many, many churches where no effective church discipline is ever carried out. And uh, people will, will sin and get into trouble in this church, and they'll go off to another church, and you'll find them worshiping, serving in this other church, and the sin was never addressed, and it's still ongoing. And the idea being that, that we don't think we have authority to administer discipline, and yet we do. We, we need to. There is a proper place for authority. And then I would also say that the average Bible-believing Christian, and I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about theologically liberal churches. They've thrown this away way back in the 50s. But the average Bible-believing Christian is probably unaware of the authority God gives the leaders of the churches. Now, part of the problem here is that there have been leaders who have misused their authority. And there have been churches and denominations that have been authoritarian. And probably one of the biggest clouds that we churches and church leaders um, um, live under and negatively is how the Roman Catholic Church protected its sinful leaders and didn't deal with them. You know what I mean? And whenever that happens, it brings the whole institution under suspicion. And, you know, when those who have power protect those who have power, and they're basically saying, we don't have to follow the rules, but you do. That's a recipe for terrible disaster. And I believe that's one of the big reasons in our day where people hate the organized church. And they don't believe in religion. They're spiritual now, but they don't believe in religion. So we have to be mindful of what the Bible says, that there is authority. We are to be able to obey and be submissive. But that authority has to be exercised in a godly, faithful, biblical way. So now we've talked about the accountability of the flock. We'll come back to that again in a moment following the passage. Now I want to talk about the accountability of the leadership. Take a look at that. So he starts out in verse 17. Obey those who rule over you. That's the accountability of the flock. And be submissive. Now here's the accountability of the leader. For they, the leaders, watch out for your souls as those who must give account. So when it says for they, you can't see this in the English, I don't think. But in the Greek, they is emphasized. And it's something like this. For these men, above all others in the church, provide a special care for you. In other words, the regular members of the church, we're supposed to care for one another, but these men, the leaders, they're really supposed to care for the flock. They're supposed to lay down their lives. They're supposed to put themselves out for the flock and to be watching out for them in a way that nobody else is responsible to do. So it's a very, very high standard that the Lord gives to us, the leadership. And, and notice that, that the word that our writer uses, they watch out for your souls. This word means to keep oneself awake. Uh, to be awake, to stay awake, to not go to sleep on the job. 
It's a word that was used for staying awake, waiting for the return of the Son of Man. Remember the ten virgins, the five faithful and the five unfaithful? The five unfaithful went to sleep, and they didn't have enough oil. See? Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. No matter what, don't let that desire, oh, I just need a, need a couple of minutes to shut. I don't. Stay awake. Be alert. It also, it, also said, it also is used in the context of escaping the coming judgment. Stay awake so that when Christ comes back, you're ready and you can escape the judgment that he brings. And Paul uses the word for prayer. He talks about watching over the flock with prayer. So you know how Paul was. He was constantly praying for the church, constantly praying for his brothers and sisters, constantly praying for the ministry. And that's the idea. He didn't go to sleep. Remember, Jesus said, I want you to come and pray with me. And they all fell asleep. He said, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? And so that's the idea of the word here. So stay awake. And that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, the word actually implies that there will be times when the leaders will lose sleep over their concerns for the family of God. And I don't know if, if there's a couple of us here uh, that are uh, in leadership positions or more than a couple. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that happen where you tossed and turned at night. And you were concerned and you would wake up and you would just cry out and praise, pray to the Lord for this person or that person or this situation. But yes, you might lose sleep and that's included in the sight. And then what else here is, he says, he says, they watch out for your souls. Notice he doesn't say they watch out for you. He says they watch out for your souls. And the idea is that these Unlike any of the others, and above all the others, they watch out for you. The word soul is often used for you as a person, a dear and precious person made in the image of God, beloved of God. So the idea here is, is that you and I as a leader have a deep, deep concern over each and every member of the flock. There's no one in the flock that's unimportant. Oh, I don't care about him. I, don't worry about her. No. We care about their souls. So you can see the accountability is very strong that the Lord gives. And you know, some of the most um, biting, prophetic um, condemnations in the Old Testament is for the, the shepherds of Israel who were biting and devouring the sheep. That means that the leaders were using the sheep to make themselves rich to enjoy their authority, to make them do things for them. And they were basically consuming the flock. And they, so he says here, they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now that's probably the scariest part. Because what does that mean that as those who must give an account? Well, we have to give an account to you because there's times when you vote. But I don't think that's the major the major reference here. I think implied here is that we must give an account to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> there's a couple places where um, this idea is found in scriptures. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Matthew chapter 12. Have you ever seen this one? Matthew 
Now, this isn't about leaders. This is just about you and me. It's about all of us here tonight. Wait till you see it. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say to you, here is Jesus speaking, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. How many words have you spoken since you got up this morning? Any of them idle? Any of them vain? Any of them unnecessary? Any of them evil? Any of them wrong? Every idle word, we will give an account of it. That's, that's our phrase. The leader will give an account of how he or she, not she, sorry about that, how he will lead or how he has led or is leading. Even more, take a look at James 3. Now, you know you can't talk about this without James chapter 3. And here's one of those places that, you'll, that, that people misuse in the church. I believe there are men that God would have used for leading and teaching in the church who read this verse and said, not me, I am not going to put myself in that position. Look at it, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's a great deal of accountability. And you've got to think about it. You stand up and you say, thus saith the Lord. And if it's not what the Lord says, you've misled people. It's okay if I mislead you about something. I mean, it's not okay if I mislead you about something inconsequential. Um, but it's a whole different animal when I tell you this is what God says and it's not. That's, that's eternally wrong. So we had a professor that, and when you made a mistake on a test, you wouldn't just get a minus one, you'd get a minus 10 or a minus 20. Because he said, you leave it blank and do not guess. Because you're not going to leave this seminary and stand up in a pulpit, not under, my, not, under, not under my tutelage, and say, I think this is what the Lord says. Or, yeah, this is what the Lord says, and you didn't check it out to make sure. He said, so if you guess on my test, you're going to lose 20 points. And he was trying to teach us not to guess when it comes to the things of the Lord. But know your word. Know the Bible before you tell somebody what, what it says. I never forgot that. Uh, look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Here we are. This is the last time Paul... We'll speak to anybody from Ephesus. He's leaving. Um, he'll end up eventually a prisoner in Rome. And he wants to talk to the elders of the church of Ephesus one last time. And in this last speech that he gives to them, they're weeping and they're crying because they love Paul and he loves them and they don't want to see him go and they don't want him to be this, this is, we don't want this to be the last time we see you, Paul. We want you to come back and visit again. So he says these important words. So whenever somebody thinks this is it, they're on their way out, they're never going to see you again, or I'm going to die, 
They measure their words very carefully. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, he's talking to the leaders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then he says, because I know that after I leave, savage wolves are coming into the church and they will tear that church apart. And even some of you will be those wolves. So you read that passage. So there's an accountability that we have because it's one thing when average Joe Christian says something wrong and maybe affects a person or two, but when Christian leader Steve says something and starts to mislead people, he will influence a lot more people potentially. So we have a stricter accountability. And again, another important parallel is 1 Peter 5. And you need to look at this because one of the things I like to do when I'm preaching and I'm, 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 I'm dealing with a, a topic, I like to show different places in the Bible where that topic is addressed. I think that's really important to compare Scripture with Scripture. So look at 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> now Peter, so we've seen what Paul said. We've seen now what Hebrews says. Now we're going to look at what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly. That's important. In other words, if you don't like what you're doing, if you want, don't want to be doing what you're doing, if you're just there because, well, nobody else will do it, get out. Willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Don't eat up the sheep and don't use them to get money. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. That's that authoritarianism. Wow, I have power. I have authority. When I say jump, you can only ask me how high. Uh-uh. We're not, we don't have authority to get people to jump through our hoops. Not at all. Just like we talked about headship. It's for the good of the wife and the children. He says, but rather being examples to the flock. We want to live our lives in such a way that we persuade people to follow our leadership. We, we prove ourselves trustworthy. Um, this is a good brother that God's put in charge of our flock. These are good brothers that God has given leadership in our flock. Trustworthy men. And we can see their lives, maybe not perfect, but they're earnest, they're growing, they're more mature as they ought to be to be a leader. And so that's that idea of obedience comes because we find these leaders who are like Jesus or growing like Jesus and we can trust them and have confidence in them. That's what he's saying there. So again, this dovetails. And then verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, receive, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And that's an encouragement to leaders, a crown of glory. So there is accountability, and that motivates us to be careful, to be prayerful, to be reflective, to evaluate ourselves, to ask others how we're we doing, but also we can look forward to the crown of glory, 
of being co-pastors with Jesus, the chief pastor, right? Not great? So uh, those who must give an account. And finally, we get back to Hebrews 13, 17, and we go back to accountability of the flock. So we've looked at the accountability of the flock at the beginning of the verse, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. We looked, for the, we looked at the accountability of the leader, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now we return to accountability of the flock. What's your job? What's your job description? It says, let them, the leaders, do so, watch over you with joy and not with grief. <laughs> not with grief, not with stress and strain and, oh, no, not again, or why don't you listen, or what is wrong? We're not saying anything that's not biblical, but with joy. So there's this, this harmony this cooperation, this, like Paul says, recognizing those who are over us in the Lord and saying, okay, that's God has placed you there and uh, we recognize that and we want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and you, the under shepherds of Christ, lead us faithfully and, and we'll walk together in the Lord and grow together. So obey and yield for the joy of your leaders. And that's what Paul, remember, says there back in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And I want to, we don't need to go back to that one. You can look that up again yourself if you wish. But I would like you to look at Philippians chapter 2. Because this is a beautiful example of this. Now, it looks like that Paul's favorite church was the Philipp, church at Philippi. Now, I, I don't mean to say that Paul ever pray, played favorites, but when you read the different epistles that Paul wrote to the churches that he founded, you, you see that the Philippians were uh, apparently, they loved Paul and they provided for Paul when he was in prison and they stayed in touch with Paul. They just gave Paul a lot of joy. They weren't a perfect church, but Paul just really enjoyed them. And this is what he writes about them. Philippians chapter two, look at verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So the idea is that we want the leaders to be able to lead with joy. And, and what happens is when the leader can lead with joy, there's joy in the flock. The flock enjoys that leadership and the leaders enjoy because we all have the same goal, do we not? To become like Christ. We're all headed to the same destination, the new heavens and the new earth, right? We're not going at cross ways. I'm not trying to get you to do something that you really don't want to do, I don't think. If I'm preaching the word of God to you, you're saying, I need to hear that. And if I say something that's convicting, I needed that. Just the way I feel when I, when I, lots of times I'll go on YouTube and I'll listen to a preacher or watch a preacher I, or on my, my telephone, I mean my smartphone, I, I have these uh, places where I can put on preaching. 
And you know, when they nail me, I'm happy. You know, sometimes I might wriggle and squirm and, well, that doesn't really mean that. That's not really about me. Okay, yes, Lord. That's good. That's good. I need that. You need that. So if we all have the same book, we all have the same goal, the same destination, the same Lord, then we should be able to do this. We should be able to enjoy walking with the Lord together. And here's another one. I really, really love this one. It's 3 John 4th verse. So it's right before the book of Revelation. 3 John, well, it's actually right before Jude, but it's 3 John and it's verse 4. And I will say that when I read this verse, I feel the same way as John. Okay? I feel the same way as John. Third epistle of John, fourth verse. You see it? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. When I see somebody growing, when I see somebody get it, when I see somebody turn from something that's not right and they start to walk with the Lord and get that, there is so much joy. It's overwhelming. I find sometimes I get choked up and I weep and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that's, that's good for us all. So let them do so with joy and not with grief. And the last line in verse 17, Hebrews 13, 17, look at this. This is how he ends it. For that would be unprofitable for you. This is not only good for your leaders, this is good for you. Because trouble troubles everyone. And I've seen it here at Woodland. I've seen it. Sad to say. I look back over the history from time to time. Trouble troubles everyone. And we need to think of peace, admitting our sin, asking forgiveness, reconciliation. Every one of us is under the same authority. Every leader and every member is under the same authority, this book. And the leaders above all others should be the ones who want to be as faithful as they possibly can to the Holy Word of God. So remember that. Trouble troubles everyone. Nobody wins. Everybody loses. Everybody suffers. And I would say, finally, taking all of this together, let's not bring shame upon our Lord's name. Let's serve together, love together, build one another up, and never be afraid to say to somebody, you know, uh, a leader, I would like to ask you about this that you've said or this decision that you want us to make or something like that. A leader can learn just like anybody else and needs that as much as anybody else. So trouble troubles everyone. So let's not bring shame upon our Lord's name. Let's do, and I'd like to end with, um, if you want to turn to it, you may, but that's um, Ephesians 4 and it always thinking about this verse uh, more and more over the years. It's Ephesians 4, and it is verse 3. Let me read it to you. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or it could be this way. Make every effort to keep or hold the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let's love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this, all will know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's pray.
We thank you, Lord, for your perfect word. Lord, we thank you that in the vexed issue of leadership and followership, the vexed, especially in our day, issues of authority and who has the authority to do what and who has the authority to say what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. We have your word, and it is perfect. And as we abide in you, Lord Jesus, and your word abides in us, we cannot go wrong, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Help us to be a people that walk in the light of your truth day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and we'll ask God's blessing. The Lord is our keeper. He will not allow our foot to be moved. He will not slumber or sleep. May the Lord keep us from all evil. May he keep our souls. May he keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.